minister to university students. We began at Princeton University and then uh, minister some others. We also minister developing Christians as Christian leaders in order for the purposes of revival and reformation here in New York City, Washington, D.C., and some other places. So that's a lot of my focus here in New York City. And what we want as Christians, we want to see God move. We want to see his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our heart yearning. It's what we want. It's what we want to see. And the scriptures have laid out some amazing passages that help us to uh, partner with God to see that come about. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to look at a few passages from the scriptures uh, that accelerate God's presence in our midst and also give some exam one example from American church history and then some examples that I've seen with my own eyes here in our present day. And this is a practice that's not practiced so much today, even though I think it'll be quickly recognized how important and how valuable it is. It's just something that's fallen out of the practice or wayside for most Christians in the West. So first of all, from the scriptures, and you can turn if you like and look at Leviticus 23. And in Leviticus 23, you can see as you go through the chapter that there are seven feasts that are listed. And these are kept in some part by Israel. Most of the time uh, during the hundreds of years before the time of Christ, they were not kept. But you see there are seven that are listed there. Now in that group of seven, this is in Leviticus 23, there are three that are special because three of them, you've got to show up in person, the men do, in Jerusalem. So there's three of those. And of those three, there's two that were special because they were a week long and they were six months apart. One was the Feast of Unleavened Bread connected with the Passover, which was one day. And then six months later, you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also seven days. Now, these seven day sort of experiences were really remarkable. And what's not widely taught is that they were so important that the Israelites were to set apart a second tithe so that they had enough money to go to these. And uh, we talk about bringing forth your tithes with the plural and offering. It's because there was a second tithe and that was set aside so they could go to Jerusalem and having these week-long festivals or experiences. Now, the Israelites were not very good at keeping these, but when they kept them, it was absolutely unbelievably amazing in terms of the spiritual impact. And I'll show you, if you want to turn to Second Chronicles, there are a few examples when they actually kept this as they were required. Uh, turn to Second Chronicles 30. And the impact was really, really amazing. And then, as I mentioned, uh, we'll talk about American history and then some current day examples of this. The purpose of this, the benefits of looking at this is seeing what the scriptures teach about how we get strong in the Lord, about how to invite the presence of the Lord, about how to have his will be done in our lives. Uh, he has ordained uh, methods or processes that he wants us to keep and not to go outside of those, but to learn to know from the scriptures. So if you look at 2 Chronicles 30, this whole chapter is a chapter of Hezekiah calling the people to keep the Passover, which is only one day, and then the unleavened bread, which is seven days. And it's a really rich chapter as you go through all of this. You look at verse 10, and you see the couriers go from city to city throughout all of 
Israel and Manasseh and Zebulun, but a lot of people laughed at them and mocked. But some of them responded and some of them said, hey, we want to come and come to Jerusalem. And so many of them did. So they came to Jerusalem and they slaughtered uh, the lamb and they got together and some remarkable things happened here. You see here in uh, verse um, 22, it says, uh, uh, verse 21, it says, and the people of Israel who were present in Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might. I would love to have been there. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in service of the Lord. Uh, that was absolutely incredible, amazing. And actually it was so incredible and so wonderful that they decided that they wanted to continue on and do another seven days. So the next verses go how they came to this conclusion and it goes to the end of the chapter. Now focus your attention at uh, chapter 31, verse one. This is at the end of these two weeks of them spending all this time together. Now notice what happened to the people. Remember the men and sometimes the women came to Jerusalem from all over. Now verse uh, one of chapter 31 says, now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. So can you imagine this scene? They're so fired up for the Lord, so fired up to do his purposes that on their way home, they stop by all these villages and cities go in, find where the altars are, take them, smash them, burn them, and go to the next place. An absolutely incredible scene. But this is what happens when there are deep extended times with the Lord. I know a woman shared earlier when I got on about wanting more faith and courage. One of the things that really helps with that for people I've noticed for myself and others is when there are multiple days of extended time of seeking God. It's absolutely incredible. And it was ordained in the scriptures. We'll quickly look at another example in Nehemiah's chapter 8 and 9. If you could turn there, you see another instance. This is hundreds of years later. Again, they didn't do this very often. But you got Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah doing a little bit of this together. If you turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. In these, I'm going to pull out just a couple of verses. So you see some of the nature of what they did during these extended times. So if you're in Nehemiah chapter 8, let's look at this in uh, verse 3. It says, and he read from it, the book of the law, facing the square before the water gate from early morning, which is probably 6 a.m., until midday, noon, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So imagine this. That the people all gather together, and Ezra's up there reading from the Bible, and he does this for six hours, six hours of reading the scriptures. Uh, absolutely amazing. Jump down to verse eight. It says, they read from the book. This is the Pentateuch, at least the first five books of the Bible, and maybe some other books of the Bible, uh, from the law of God clearly, and they gave this sense so that the people understood the reading. So they would read and kind of give a sermon. So I've been in some long sermons in my lifetime. I think the 
longest was two hours and 20 minutes. It was Dave Warren one time some years ago. That was a sermon, not the whole service, the sermon. Well, this was six hours uh, explaining and teaching. Uh, absolutely incredible. Now jump down to verse 14. Here they, as they did this this first day, they found it written in the law that the people should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months. So they said, as they're doing all this and they're listening, like, hey, we're supposed to have a full seven days here. So they continue to jump down to verse 18. says, day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there's a solemn assembly. Uh, the next verse. Now on the 24th day of the month, with fasting and sackcloth, says the Israelites separated themselves from foreigners and they confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day. For another quarter, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. So a quarter of the day was probably three hours and then another quarter, three hours confessing their sins and worshiping. So you see all that comprise these multi-day gatherings. They had hours of teaching from the Bible, hours of worship, hours of confession of sin. Sometimes they would have more mourning. Sometimes it'd be more feasting. It sort of depended on what's going on, depending on uh, what day it was and what they were doing. So this is a lot of time that they're spending. And the spiritual effect, as we saw in Second Chronicles, is amazing. Now, I want to mention, uh, now that we've seen in the scriptures, what we see in church history. America has an incredible revival history. And a lot of it's connected to these extended gatherings. The uh, settlers in the U.S. were inspired by the Scottish folks who would do this in what were called holy fairs. And the most famous gathering along these lines was something that happened in 1801. Many scholars put the beginning of the Second Great Awakening at this event in Cambridge, Kentucky. If you can imagine this, 20,000 or more people gathered for a week in this gigantic valley in Cambridge, Kentucky. They were there to seek the Lord and had all these stages set up where people would preach. They had one uh, a Methodist minister is preaching. You go down and you have a Baptist minister preaching. You go down, there's an Anglican preaching. And a whole week of seeking the Lord. That was a pure intention of it. Well, with that sort of focus and intensity, the Holy Spirit fell and there are amazing accounts of, of dramatic, powerful things happening, conversions happening and people being filled with the spirit. And as I mentioned, the second great awakening, many say, began then. And that continued on for 30 years. Many dramatic changes in the United States as a result of this absolutely wonderful and extraordinary. And as a matter of fact, it was some years ago, I was listening to NPR and a woman named Cindy Arnon was uh, on the show. Uh, she's not Christian. She had written a book called Working at Play, The History of Vacation. And what I found was, if you search uh, NPR archives, you can find it. This is back from like 2006. She mentioned uh, how uh, um, vacations came about in the United States. The way vacations came about was these camp meeting experiences. And in an agrarian society, people, people typically didn't take week or two week vacations, but they would for these extended times of seeking the Lord. As a matter of fact, entire cities were developed out of this. I lived in Jersey for 20 years before moving to New York 10 years ago. And a number of towns, beach towns, Ocean City, uh, Ocean Grove, 
they were Methodist camp meeting places where people would go for a week in the summertime and get strong in the Lord and then go back about their regular work. And in Ocean City, where I spent a summer, the streets are named after famous Methodists. One is um, uh, Francis Asbury, Bishop of the United States. Another was John, uh, John Wesley. So this is part of America's history. But now today, we as Christians, we take, uh, when we go on vacation, we take even less time seeking the Lord than during the normal year. When the history of these was that they were to be set aside so that we would very intensive times of seeking God. And even today, if you go to some of these week-long kind of camps, I'm glad that they're there. But sadly, much of the time, most of the time, is devoted to recreational activities. And there's nothing wrong with recreational activities. I like canoeing and hiking myself. But unless you spend the time seeking the Lord, you're not going to have the same spiritual impact in your life. And so that's uh, American history. We looked at the scriptures. We looked at American history. Now I want to give some more personal examples. I've had the privilege of being part of a few revivals myself. And in both times, part of it, which kept things going, these were both at Princeton University for a few years in the 90s and then for a few years, 10 years ago. But both times, there was always a five-day retreat. And during those five days, there was a very strong emphasis of repentance, uh, Bible reading, of a lot of worship, not just a nice hour meeting and when you're done. It was in the morning, in the afternoons, and then at night, the meetings would go from 6 a.m. to midnight at least. I mean, sorry, 6 p.m. to midnight. And uh, with all of that focus and spiritual work, the Spirit of the Lord would fall, lives would be changed, public confession of sin. The Spirit of the Lord would come in the room and people would uh, just fall on their face and confess their sins outright. No one had said anything like that or just start praising God. Um, all sorts of extraordinary things would happen and students would have visions and all sorts of things. And both of these revivals, as much as 10% of the student body got involved in, in uh, the ministry, absolutely incredible. So it was extraordinary to be part of these experiences. And I've talked to others around the world too who are revivalists and they've had similar sorts of experiences. I'll give one example from Fiji Islands and then one from Uganda. I had the privilege a year ago to go to the Fiji Islands and I'd heard about, and I was with George Otis, if you ever heard of him, who's done documentaries on revival. And I met George at one of Dave Warren's revival institutes years ago, but it was only now that I was able to go with him. And we took about 15 of our staff and we got to go to all these villages where they've seen amazing revival um, experiences. And what happens is they have this healing the land team there made of Fijians and they have a four week experience. The first two weeks, the Christians in the village, they pray every night for several hours together and the healing the land team is back at the base, praying around the clock, fasting and praying, 24 hours a day, praying like crazy. And then they come in for the second two weeks all the Christians take off work and they come together all day from like 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. And they just teach the word. They pray. They teach. They repent. They teach more. They pray some more. They worship. All the way until 8 p.m., the people in the village go home for the night. The people, the healing the land team, they stay up all night fasting and praying. I mean, they take shifts, of course, to the next day. And they do it again each day for two weeks. So the whole process is four weeks long. 
We may wonder what, what happens to these villages. Well, over 20 years, they've done about 120 villages. And we went, I got to visit about 15 of the villages. And it's absolutely amazing. Not only are there lots of conversions and healings and deliverances, family reconciliations, uh, the fathers coming back together with their families and all sorts of things. But all these phenomenological miracles, they are agrarian in their economy there. And the land itself had been poisoned, just cursed in many ways because of all the wickedness. And there are churches in these places. Most villages have two to four churches, but they just were not very strong in the Lord. So there are all these examples of uh, one place. Uh, the man said, four years ago, we went through this process, these fruit trees, and he puts his hand on them. They used to bear fruit once per year. Now they bear fruit continually year round lime trees and breadfruit trees continually. Uh, others point to uh, two villages. They said these coral reefs had died. That's where we got our fish. And now they came back to life uh, during this four week process. And one of them, the, the people there, they told us how they saw fire from God come out of heaven. I know it sounds amazing, but I talked to the people who saw it with their own eyes and everybody there in the village says, yes, it was 15 years ago. The coral reef came back to life, which is amazing. And other miracles from the end they showed us the yams from the land they say same seed same ground the yams used to be this big now the yams are this big and they show us all the yams i mean thing after thing it was really amazing and new species of fish that had come that weren't there before so all this came because of an intensive time focused time uh reading the bible praying fasting and seeking the lord and so the last example i want to mention is in uganda and a leader of the revival in Uganda over the last 30 years, John Malunde, he has become a personal friend through the years. And he told me how when the Lord uh, brought him to faith, he came to faith and the Lord appeared to him that day. And the Lord told him to start preaching the gospel. He did, but no one came to faith. And he was very discouraged. And the Lord told him and appeared to him again and said, John, it's not your words that change anything. He says, two people can say the same thing. But unless I'm with them, nothing changes. He says, your spiritual fountains need to be revived is what needs to happen. Uh, because otherwise you don't have the anointing uh, for people's lives to be changed. So he said, what, you know, what do I need to do? And so he said, get away for three months. So for three months, he went away to seek the Lord. And he told me, he says, you don't need to do this for three months. But he says, after that, he and some friends doing that, that changed everything in their ministry. His whole villages, miracles, salvations, because the anointing of the Lord on them was incredible. So this inspired me. And in August, a number of us spent five days seeking the Lord, 14 hours a day. Amazing. Then again in November, uh, a number of us spent four weeks seeking the Lord. We, it was just Monday through Friday. We had the weekends off. But we had 14 hours a day of seeking the Lord during those times of Bible reading, of prayer, of worship, more Bible reading, more prayer, more worship. Dave Warren came and was the part for a week, which is wonderful. In January, I uh, did the same thing with my leaders for a week. And what's amazing is a number of them said it was the blessed, most wonderful time of seeking God that they've ever had in their lives. And we did it with some lay people just for a few days. And a number of them said it's been the biggest shift and change in their entire lives. So all that to testify that what the Lord has showed us in the scriptures about extended intensive times of seeking God are absolutely incredible. We see that example in the scriptures. We see the example 
in history, the uh, Second Great Awakening with America. We see it in the contemporary times. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it with, uh, and we see it in Fiji Islands, Uganda and other places. So I love, love, love Jonathan Frizz's emphasis on these 10 days because having and taking these focus extended times, as much time as schedules allow. I know some spend only a few hours a day, but some spend many more hours a day. And that's absolutely incredible. And the spiritual fruit is wonderful and extraordinary. So I thank the Lord for this ministry and I'm glad to be able to share a few minutes here. It's been a blessing. And so thank you so much, Jonathan. I'll turn, um, turn it back over to you.